lesson of modern education is Woke kids step, wise kids step, college kids step I'm woke Read more, learn more, change the globe You must learn This is Woke Wise College Kids Welcome to WokeWise College Kids. I'm your host, Dr. Erin, founder of Be Preppy College Coaching. February is an awesome month. It's a month for love and Black history. So our February podcasts are dedicated to love and greatness of African Americans in higher education. 1799 is the first record of an African American attending an American university or college. By 1900, 2,000 African Americans had higher education degrees, of which only 390 received those degrees from white institutions. And there were 78 black colleges established by this time. In 1954, the Supreme Court ruled to abolish racial segregation in schools. Currently, there are approximately 2.5 million African American students enrolled in higher education. While this number is a far cry from the enrollment in 1900, there should be millions more of African Americans enrolling in higher education programs as we make up only 15% of the total college population. While we don't have the barriers that our ancestors had, minority students still face challenges in acceptance and assimilations on campus, in our community, and in our home. Although there are millions of African Americans in college, many students are first-generation students where being in college and graduating from college is rare or non-existent. Being a minority and the first to go to college is a unique experience that is hard to describe. But at the core of the issue is identity. While all students go to college to explore and discover who they are, minority students have more layers to peel before they get to understand, accept, and love their authentic selves. In this episode, we explore the topic of finding your identity as a minority student. On this episode, you hear three voices and three perspectives. My own, an African-American woman and college graduate, co-host and Preppy's intern, Maggie, a Latino woman and college graduate, and our guest, Cedric Dent Jr., an African-American male and college student. We are all first-generation low-income minority students. If you've been listening, you know about Maggie and I. So let me introduce you to our guest. Cedric is a proud senior at my alma mater, Southeastern Louisiana University, and is pursuing a degree in social work. Cedric was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana by a single mother. He has been actively involved on campus as an orientation leader, peer mentor, member of the NAACP, leader of the Student Government Association, and the president of, of the Kappa New Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. He was recently crowned the 2018-19 Homecoming King. He's a senior social work major and is consistently on the Dean's List. He has recently authored his first book, Searching for Purpose and Understanding, Fulfilling Your Purpose in Life. This is one of our longer episodes, but only because the conversation was really great and we couldn't bear to cut anything. We will love to hear your feedback and personal experiences in finding your identity. Be sure to send us your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram at BePreppyLOC. Happy listening. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Wokewise College Kids. 
Please welcome our guest today, Cedric. Hey, y'all. Hey, Cedric. So um, I didn't include in my introduction, Cedric is one of my mentees that I am mentoring from my alma mater, Southeastern. And um, this podcast, I think, is really, um, I'm really excited about just because we can have a very multifaceted conversation on identity. So, Cedric, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you all. Um, so Maggie, uh, give us, what's our, give us the intro to our topic today. So our topic today is identity. So we're going to be talking about, um, data on minority students, first generation students, you know, how did we personally navigate, uh, college as a minority getting in and out of class and how did our experiences kind of differ from, um, the majority or our, you know, our white peers. Okay, so before we jump into it, Cedric, we have a couple of questions, fun questions we want to ask you, one, to let our listeners know a little bit about you and um, just to warm up so we can have a little warm up before we jump into something a little bit serious. Okay, that's fine. So what college did you attend for undergrad? So I'm still actually in undergrad. I attend Southeastern Louisiana University in Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, small town, small school, but um, I really enjoy going there. I'm a senior pursuing a degree in social work. Oh, that's awesome. So um, there's usually a very few like types of student groups. I would separate them into like I hate the word term jocks, but student athletes, uh-huh. social butterflies, uh, regular students who just go to class and go home. Um, what would be, how would you describe your yourself as a student? What group would you tend to put yourself in? Oh, uh, I would put myself in um, just a great overall student. Um, I was always the student who went above and beyond. Um, I always um, built that personal connection with my faculty, my uh, professors, but also my um, student organizations that I'm affiliated with and also the staff around campus. So I did above and beyond um, outside of my norms, just not by going to class and things like that. I really took um, initiative to um, talk to my professors, reach out to the resources that was um, available on Southeastern campus. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to manifest in certain areas as such as my grades and things like that. Ever mm-hmm. since I've been at Southeastern, I have obtained the Dean's List or the President's List. Um, and just by doing that, um, most importantly, working hard, but also um, taking advantage of my resources such as tutoring, asking my classmates for extra help, um, my professors and things like that. Okay, so you you so if you were to say you're a model student, yeah, model student. <laughs> um. So, what is your favorite college memory so far? Oh, I have a lot. Um, my most um memorable college experience is actually um for my um neophyte presentation. Um, I crossed into, I believe, the greatest fraternity 
known to mankind, Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And when we were, um, the neophyte presentation is where, uh, is a presentation where we are, you know, identified to the student body. And, you know, just to be in that moment, um, just by working hard and just by looking back on all the hard work that I put into joining fraternity, it definitely um, made my, my night um, great. And just to be surrounded by my family, my friends, and other people just cheering me on, and that, that was the best memory of my college experience so far. Yeah, that that that's one of those memories you probably won't ever have like two of. Like it's only is yeah, you only get one. Yeah, you only have one <laughs> shot. <laughs> so I'll give you. Uh, so what's your second one? Your second probably most recent memory. Something exciting just happened to you. Um, hearing my name pronounced. Um. As the winner of Homecoming wow. King, um, just just walking down the field, uh, feeling very anxious, but also confident in myself. But it's a different feeling when you hear your name and you just, you know, you just lose it all. Like people just, you know, just cheering you on and things like that. I really enjoy walking down the field and hearing my name called. So I think that knowing your accomplishment and being there, accomplishing that, I think, um, ties into this podcast, this episode, um, pretty well because when I was at Southeastern in the years, oh gosh, 2003 or 2008, and um, did a lot of stuff while I was in grad school. But you are one one of the few African American males that have been named as homecoming king because we're a predominantly white institution. Um, so how did that, did that affect you any as, as that being a, a moment or making that moment bigger? Um, when I look back on it, yes, because um, people have different um, perspectives of what it means or what it is to be um, black at a PWI. Um, for me, I always looked at it as um, it's about who you are as a person. So no matter your skin color and things like that, um, granted that a black person may have a harder time than um, Caucasian person at a PWI because it, there are more um, things that black people have been through in the past experiences. I'm not saying like um, Caucasian or white people haven't been through the same experiences, but we come from a different um areas such as like slavery and things like that, injustices and things like that. So um, as a black male on campus, yes, it's hard, um, you know, just getting around. I've been in multiple meetings where I was the only um, black male in the room and that's pretty uncomfortable. But, um, you know, just being uncomfortable, um, but also having the voice and the confidence to express myself and know that my words do have power um, as if I am anyone else. So it was. most challenging, but going through the phases, um, I just, I just, it, it wasn't really based off of um, my skin color. Um, really, it was based off who I knew mm-hmm. and things like that in my work ethic. But looking back, I do um, think about some things such as um, the barriers that I had um, that other people necessarily mm-hmm. probably didn't have. Well, thank you for that. We have one last question at the end. We'll wrap up with that question. But I wanted to, and you in your answer brought 
a, a valid point. Um, this podcast, we we want to talk about our experience, but we also want to bring in and shed some light on real data. So Maggie, tell us what uh, you found as far as the data of minorities now in college as a whole. Yeah. So recently on a study from uh, Higher Education Today, uh, it was found that the rate of college attention for students of color has increased. In fact, um, approximately 40 percent of students or of course composed of Black, Latinx, Asian, Pacific Islanders, uh, Native Americans, and mixed race people, um, which is, you know, a growth from, you know, what it was, you know, back in like the 90s and um, even the 2000s, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's definitely true. Um, and it's great seeing people, um, especially of my color, attend college, but um is 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 all is more um, deeper than that because they attend probably for the first semester. Then when I look around for the second semester, um, half of those people aren't there anymore. So um, Dr. Gay Willis just um, came spoke to the Mesa multi students um, in affairs in national affairs student groups about the black male, um, specifically black males, but black graduation in total. And it seems like it's more challenging for black people in general to finish mm-hmm. college yeah mm-hmm. yeah um in my book secrets to college success i talk about just overall the college success rate for students is difficult but once we compare minority rates we trail behind some 20 to 30 percent in some cases i think um it's uh, around 20% for African-Americans. I think Latinx and Hispanic students trail a little bit behind, behind us as far as college completion. Um, And even once you add on that low income first generation status that almost um, multiplies or, 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 or magnifies that, that gap as well. And just as as a professional and in doing some research, uh, which brings us to the topic of the podcast is identity. A lot of our issues, uh, while we're always sometimes put in that category of unprepared and they underestimate our ability to complete is sometimes not even about how quote unquote smart. Cause I don't like that word. It's about, um, motivation and how we see the world from our perspective that's usually a barrier and how we reach out for help like you said you connect with a lot of professors that you don't mind doing that and for a lot of african-american males and um and other minority students that's a barrier because we're we're like from the outside Mm -hmm. some of us has some you know i came from where i had um, a lot of teachers that were mixed race, that I had a lot of white and, and, and black, but, you know, coming to a PWI, I had all white teachers. And then some people may have came from a school that was all black teachers and this new. So it's not really about our ability, um, even our ACT scores and GPAs that has a lot to do with um, where we go to school, our neighborhood, our background, our culture which affects how we see the world. Um, And I just remember being in a professional development conference and having to hear African-American men 
And I think there was some Latino and uh, Hispanic men as well saying that the hardest thing for them was the pull on them becoming their college selves and them remaining um, trying to hold on or salvage or trying to fit in with their family and their culture Mm -hmm. that they feel like they're leaving behind or separating, Um, which brings us to the 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 title or our focus today identity how does identity play a part in our college success um as minorities so i'm african-american uh, woman we have a a latina um woman and we have african-american male which i think brings a lot of um diversity to our discussion. And I think by the end of our conversation, you're going to find out that we have a lot in common. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so how does that, how does that, and you know, that's one of our big questions, right? Is how does that affect our college experience? How does it affect our college success? And what can we tell our listeners who are going through this first, first year students, second year students, um, what they may encounter um, along the way? Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure we've all grown. We're all in different stages, post-grad. Um, Megan and I are post-grad. I'm a little bit further <laughs> post-grad than she is. And Cedric, you're going to be graduating soon. So I know your years, you have a, a process of how you became confident in who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maggie, what um, what is your perspective on this? You grew up, so we're both, so we also have diversity in location. You're from California, mm-hmm. but me and Cedric are from the South where we um, probably have a little bit different racial climate. You might can say you have similar or experience similar. So how does that, what's your perspective on this? Oh man. I mean, it's funny because when I came out of high school, you know, I thought I came from a really like diverse area, you know, and going into so I went to UCSB right that's another PWI um and they didn't reach their quota of becoming a Hispanic serving institute until probably like the mid of my first year which is basically just means um they have 25 percent of Hispanic identifying students on campus um students on campus and when I got there it was like a culture shock um like I said, I was really used to being in an area where I thought I saw like, you know, an equal amount of, you know, black people and Asians and Hispanics and Latinos and, you know, Pacific Islanders. And then I didn't realize, I'm going to say, I didn't realize how big race was a thing. Cause you know, um, my, you know, my parents are Mexican, um, I'm daughter of immigrants and uh, my dad is a little bit on the darker side. So I kind of already had that awareness, you know, but it wasn't until, I came to school where I realized how coming from a household that it was first generation, um, you know, I didn't have the tools to help me really apply for college and know as much as I wanted to. And then bringing in the fact that I was low income, you know, really brought in understanding how, you know, didn't have the same resources academically as my peers did, you know, and it's just one thing after another. And then how my classrooms, how, like drastically different it was to high school you know I was used to seeing an you know equal amount of different ethnicities and then it's mostly like my sem classes it was maybe what um you know they're 400 to a lecture hall you know at least 300 of those students are white at least you know and then you have another 100 mm-hmm. or maybe 50 more actually probably more like 50 of them were students of color 
and then breaking that down and how it was like male and female. And when you came, when I got to my classes, it was really feeling underrepresented and, you know, how that actually affected me academically, um, not seeing uh, Latina, not seeing a person of color in the STEM field, which was at the time what I wanted to pursue. And then it was funny when, you know, seeing how isolated I felt, you know, not just um, socially, but, you know, academically, it was kind of like, well, I'm going through these hard transitions of, you know, having close familial ties to being isolated now to just school and understanding how academia is, it's also a separator from you and your culture because, you know, we said it earlier, you had that um, conference where the Latinos and the black men were saying how they had to feel like they weren't so separated from being educated and trying to keep in touch with their culture. And it's the same thing, you know, it's like, okay, I'm coming back home and now I have this privileges college education and how do I stay close to my roots while also trying to not necessarily like assimilate but adapt to being in this very much white middle class culture that uh, to be honest I wasn't from you know um mm-hmm. and it affected me mentally you know it made me doubt myself my abilities um though I graduated you know my high school with like a 4.5 GPA you know top like my class wow. mm-hmm. when I got to UCSB when I got to this PWI it was like I don't feel like I'm good enough to be here you know and that constant battle that you know your white peers don't necessarily understand because you know they've had this privilege of understanding that I'm going to go here regardless and it's like yeah I mean I had that college culture to a certain extent but I mean, for most people, for most students of color, for most minorities, we don't have that in our schools. We don't have that you know, starting up with kindergarten, preschool. We get that maybe later in middle school and high school if you're in a good enough, if you're in a uh, area that has enough resources. But in coming to terms with that, and I think understanding that when I finally met my first, uh, you know, professor of color, um, she's like one of my mentors now, and I, you know, I. I kind of still stay close with her, um, Jose Casillas, and took my first Chicano, Chicano studies class, you know, that's when I started seeing myself presented. That's when I felt comfortable with myself. And she was the first person to affirm that, you know, these doubts, they're not something that's just happening to me. They're happening to all students of color, you know? Um, And yeah, that's just, I don't know. Like I, I think about it back now and I'm like, it's funny how representation is such a big thing and how we don't understand how it doesn't only affect you, you know, mentally, it also affects you academically because once, mm-hmm. you know, mentally you're doubting yourself, you believe in yourself, you're not going to want to pursue the same interests you don't if you don't see yourself in those same careers or in those same positions of power. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on this. But, yeah. Um. So Cedric, what's your what's your perspective? Different different state, different um you're coming from a different um background, culture, a city. Um so what's what was your perspective especially during your first year at Southeastern? Yeah, my first year was actually graduating high school. And transitioning into my first year of college, it was um, it was hard mentally 
because there were um I always was pressured by um you know my high school peers to um partake in doing like you know like bad things and I wasn't that type of student who would um go to parties all the time you know I I rather study or read a book or something like that so going to college um I had people to tell me that I wasn't going to be successful in college I wasn't going to make it um and luckily for my my mother I had that support system for my mother so when I went to college um that first day um I felt kind of distant from um my community in New Orleans because in Hammond I don't I didn't really gain friends when I first like started you know I didn't know anyone out here when I first started at Southeastern so I had to really find out who I am and you know find out what type of people would I like to surround myself with and um just going through the orientation stages and things like that um I was able to um find out who I wanted to be with in college but also I had still had questions on um would they be beneficial um uh, whether it was one of color or whether it was you know a white person and I just let my guard down um in orientation and I I think me going to orientation it really built me up to where I am now because um all the people that I met at orientation at Southeastern um my first time going to Southeastern is those people who had major impact on my lives. And if it wasn't for me meeting um, the people at orientation, I would have never been a part of Project Pull. Mm-hmm. And Project Pull played a big, you know, big, big role in my life because now um, it's all about mentoring. Now I'm understanding that um, we had really had to, you know, each one teach one. So um, if it wasn't for me going through that program, being a mentee, then being a mentor, um, and then ultimately um, becoming coordinated, then I wouldn't be I wouldn't be the person I am today. So that that's where my identity come from. Um, you know, just being a part of Project Pull, and that really shaped my identity um, to new things such as my fraternity, um, SGA, um, the people I have met, um, the mentors I have established on campus. All of that came from Project Pull. So um, Project Pull was a big part of my identity. Um, you know, that, that first year of college. So that really sh- shaped my college, my first year um, college experience. And it just took off for that, took off from there. So I'm really grateful. Um, it really could be worse. It could be better, but I'm forever um, grateful um, for what I have done and what Project Pool has done for me my first year. I mean, yeah, Cedric, you mentioned it earlier, how um, within your first year, you know, you saw a lot of your peers, you know, drop their classes and, yeah, you know, same for me. Like one of the things um, one of my other mentors taught me was that within their second, when I was doing my honors thesis, like my third year, was that um, by my second year, typically forty five percent of um, you know Latinx and Hispanic identifying students of color drop um, mm-hmm. college and drop out, wow. and how mm-hmm. we're it's crazy because you know we don't we don't think about those statistics until we've gotten past that point. Mm-hmm. Yes. and how that really when you get there how that's so um eye-opening because then it's like wow like you know I really need it you know I'm really making these changes um and the working on your path to success that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't had those support systems that you had like your first day from orientation you know and for me it was you know my friends within um my Latinx fraternities and sororities and um also how 
you know, those organizations are so pivotal to us doing so well in college because that's where we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we that's where we get our supportism if it's not just from yes. your friends. It's from your orgs or resource centers and yeah. Yes, and you can really find yourself, but I have noticed that I find myself a lot, but um I'm still continuing to, you know, learn more about myself. So I love learning about myself. Um, I don't want ever come to a point where I'm stagnant and I'm, I, I feel comfortable. So um, my, my goal each day is to learn more about who I am. And once I learn about who I am, I can impact more people um, that's closest to me or even people that I mm-hmm. would like to help. Um, so I have a, a question since you said about learning about yourself. The transition identity, I know just mm-hmm. from even from being from high school. So I think I had a, a slightly opposite view for college. So for college, I felt, um, even though it was a PWI, I enjoyed finding other, especially African-American women and men who were top of their class like me. So I was probably, whenever I did stuff at high school, academically and stuff like that, I was one of the few black people to do it. So I was always, you know, I have a ton of white friends. Um, and so, of course, I had the the Oreo, you talk weird, you talk proper, you talk white, all of that stuff in high school. But when I came to college and I realized that there's other people from other schools who were probably by themselves there and they came, like I felt, that's when I felt um, the most confident about myself even though I was at a a PWI and I was a minority, but I found a community Mm -hmm. of people who were smart, who still liked the same things that I did, who um, I didn't have to have, like, feel like I had to hide my blackness or hide what I like and be smart. Like I didn't have to code switch that often. Like I can be comfortable in that community. Um, So how does, so college is about finding Mm -hmm. yourself period. Right. Do you feel like it's a burden to, you know, our minority identity? Do you think it's a a burden or is it a, does it enhance? Do you feel like it's a burden at times? Like you just want to be Cedric. You don't want to be the African-American male. (laughs) You don't want to be the Latina uh, woman. Like, do you just want to be Maggie and Cedric? And does that, how did that play a part in you finding or being confident in who you are? as a person in your college years? Yeah, so um, that's that's a very good question. But um, it's really a mental um, state of being. Um, mentally, you have to be very strong. And um, as, you know, just living in America, period, there are um, certain perspectives um, that each, every one of us hold. Um, and you have to wear, like, you have to exclude all of this, the perspectives and you have to really dig into, dig into who you are as a person. So, um, if a person call you a name or a liar, say for instance, if a person call you a liar and you know that you told the truth, um, that's what that person thinks, but you know that you were, you were very honest and you told the truth. So, um, it's really being self-conscious and self-assured of who you are. Um, and then they're going to have like, say for instance, um, I could use myself as an example, um, just by winning homecoming King, um, just by winning homecoming King, um, 
I knew I was gonna win it, but I knew they had I, I knew I still had to put in the work. So um it's everything is possible to obtain um as a black male. And I'm speaking um just in general. Um, but everything in college as a black male is um is is obtainable, but you have to work very, very hard. You have to take that extra step. You have to ask that extra question. Um, that's going to get you where you need to go. So I don't think it was hard for me to do all the things that I did in college, but I just went the extra mile. I always ask questions and things like that. Um, And looking back on it, there were things I could have did differently, but um, it just plays a part of who I am as a person and um, how people view black males on campus in general. Um, But on Southeastern campus, there are actually... Um, less males that um, are in leadership roles that I would like to see change, but that comes from me being that voice and helping my black brother up and helping him um, do the things or accomplish the things that I have accomplished on Southeastern campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I feel kind of like it's a double-edged sword there are some days where I would love to just be Maggie and not have to worry about um, dealing with being, you know, racialized and, you know, sexualized mm-hmm. all the time. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that is my reality. Um, but some days also find like, you know, it's kind of something that pushes me forward. You know, I use it as, you know, these are my identities and, because I am who I am, because I am one of color, I am a Latina, I am a daughter of immigrants, I am a first-generation student, um, all these identities in some way have helped me grow overall, you know, so I think as much as I would love to just be like, I'm just me, and that's it, I also have learned that these identities are what have made me become such a better person, not just academically help me, you know, pursue college, finish getting my degree and, you know, moving on to grad school eventually. But I think overall, it's like wanting to do work like this, where it's like you said, you know, you want to see your other brothers be uplifted. And for me, that same thing, like, I want to see my community be uplifted. And it's because I know I'm aware. So of what have, what are some barriers or issues or challenges? Um, and this question's for me as well. Um, I'll jump in too. What are some barriers or challenges that you've had being a minority on campus or um, breaking the stereotypes that people may have of you? That's a good question. Um, first, it's just, um, well, pertaining to the Southeastern campus, there are, there are, all the resources that you need is on campus, but as um, being a minority um, and not as strong as um, the whites that are on Southeastern campus and they know like the resources and things like that, um, I would say one of the barriers for um, me was that my professors was um, predominantly white. I only had um, about my first year I had one black professor and um, she taught SE1, SE 101, um, basically a class to get you prepared for the first um, semesters in college, but to 
just to go into class and not see any um, professors that was of my color color teacher college class that that mentally um, scarred me. Um, but as I went throughout my college um, semesters, um, I was able to find more um, black professors in my majors. But it's the same thing with um, students as well. Um, as I got further in my social work classes, I was probably the only um, black male that was in the in the classroom, and that 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 really bothered me. But it made it tough for me. But me knowing who I am as a person who um, just just gonna get through it. Um, looking back on it, um, there were there were really classes where I was the only black male student in my social work class and I had to work through the barriers um, that came with the class. Um, gratefully, I made it out um, successfully, um, but there were many um, things such as um, the teacher feeling the need not mm-hmm. to say things um, in a such manner because I was in the class. That that really mm-hmm. um, bothered me as well. So um, that, that point really... Um, it's, it's really the barriers. Yeah, I can, one of the um, barriers for me. I was um, one of the few. I can so probably far. count on my hand the number of minority students who graduated in biology. And I know all of them. <laughs> but um, I know I felt um, very <laughs> isolated when it came to study groups and trying to understand. Um, and even though I had a, a friend from my high school who was actually a organic chemistry tutor, it was still, I still felt academically less, even when he tried to explain. Um, And I was a tutor uh, for other subjects, but even though I knew him, he was still a white male. And I still felt intimidated because I was one of the few, like I didn't have anybody to really turn to. And the the people that, um, that I did know and, and, you know, being in lab when you have to partner up and do lab, uh, one, we're still very cool today. She was Colombian first gen and the other was, um, Indian and, you know, being minority, uh, women in a class, we automatically, it was like magnets. It was just like, uh, <laughs> okay, so nobody's probably going to want to part with us. So let's you know, just work this thing out. Yeah. So it was um, until I went to a HBCU for my master's and grad program is where I think I continue to shape my identity, racial and academic identity. Um and so, you know, I hate the debate of PWI versus HBCU. I think you should be um, well-rounded, but um, I do think it does play a huge who you see and who you're surrounded by. So I didn't have any African-American teachers or minority teachers when I was an undergrad um, at all, especially since I was in STEM. Um mm-hmm. I think I'm lying. I did have one science mentor. He was African-American. He was in physics, but he wasn't in my major uh, curriculum. But I actually had to go to him when I didn't understand my physics teacher because it wasn't an uncomfortable barrier for me to ask questions. I felt comfortable just saying, okay, I don't understand this. And I knew he wasn't going to come from a place of, why don't you? Did you do this? And, And you know that intimidation factor that you feel. And it could be all in our mind or it could be very real you never know I think that's the most irritating part it's like am I overreacting or (laughs) is this really what he said or she said so um, (laughs) 
I definitely feel like that yeah. even just mm-hmm. breaking the stereotype, I was one of the few, probably one of the only people that did research that actually wants to do research outside of lab. Um, and that it didn't go well at all. It just did not gel just because it just wasn't, I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think even though we're, Almost 10 years apart from, oh gosh, I feel old. <laughs> We're probably almost 15 years apart, Cedric. We still have the same um, experience, um, which is kind of unfortunate. But um, but yeah, I definitely do think having people who look like you um, or come from a background where you can feel comfortable definitely plays a part in um, how you see yourself as a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can totally uh resonate with that. I agree with that. Um yeah, I think one of the hardest things that I had to do with like a kind of like a stereotype was the kind of being like the at least like my first when I took my summer classes was mm-hmm. kind of being like the token person of color in the state. Um and that was almost always yeah. in my sociology yeah. classes especially when we had talked when we had a do discussion and it's like well how is your experience different margarita and it's like one don't call me by my full name because you can't say it right two (laughs) two it's like i can't speak for everybody and it's constantly debating like okay do i want to call out this person on this kind of problematic thing they said and it's understanding when to do it and how to do it. And that was like one of the main things I had to learn to kind of just be like, you know what, there's a time and a place. And sometimes it's more damaging to yourself to always be the one to like point out all these little things that bother you than it is to just take it for face value and understand that this is a part of a bigger issue. But this is going to be my whole reality. So it's better that at this moment, I learn how to deal with this in a way where, like, um, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, you just learn to kind of not accept it, but understand that it's going to be an everyday battle for the rest of your life that you just got to go with, you know? Um, and I'm still learning that today, you know, it's still understanding how to deal with being the, tro- the token person of color, especially like my job where it's, very much a privileged area so when I tell people or when I'm wearing my you know alumni gear mm-hmm. it's a shock that you went to a UC you graduated did research how why are you working here <laughs> and yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's <laughs> also empowering when I get to mm-hmm. say these are all the things that I did in my undergraduate career and I'm not done yet and it's mm-hmm keeping up with that whole mentality and going back to that at the end of the day that whether I do these stereotypes every day, you know, I'm not going to let them get to me um, because I am better than those stereotypes. I am not just so on uh, one of our earlier podcast episodes, I interviewed this African-American male student athlete and he's, I asked him about his dual identity as a student and athlete. And he, he related that to being, um, a couple of things uh 
Superman versus Clark Kent, you know, Superman on the field, Clark Kent in the classroom or Ghost versus uh, James St. Patrick from Power. Um, How does that we tend to have a dual identity of ourselves, ourselves at home and ourselves outside of home. Like our friends may know us differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took me a while, probably mid 20s to really reconcile that I'm still one person. And it had to take me looking at other women who went before me to say, mm-hmm. okay, how do you go from being this really powerful CEO of a company to like ha- having the most down to earth, like you're really uh, your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And I would, I'm going to lie and say it's, it was probably more recently than that. I went to a leadership conference for women in higher ed. And so th- we had a real talk about being authentic. And it was actually in a small group session for minority women, because women are, you know, a minority, and then you have, we're double minority, right? And so we had this topic about being authentic. So it really took takes mm-hmm. a long time for you to reach that point. I don't think I've reached it in, um, you know, mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a long time, I feel like I was two different people. And, and sometimes I still do. So talk about your dual mm-hmm. identity. Do you have one? What is it? How do they differ from each other? And um, do you feel like you're close to kind of reconciling the two where you're unapologetically Maggie, wherever you go, like you're unapologetically uh, Cedric, that you're not Cedric from this place? Or if you have any other nickname, I know Maggie, you have a nickname that you're trying to, <laughs> so you're trying to uh, run from. So how does, do you have a dual identity? Uh, uh, for me, I would say since I'm still young, I'm very young and I know who I am, but I really don't know who I am. Um, to the full extent. Um, and I just had this conversation with my mentor um, on uh, finding more about who you, who I am as a person. Um, so I believe the first step of being authentic is really um, being comfortable in your own skin. Um, I believe that if you do not like yourself or if you're not comfortable um, in your own skin, then you cannot be authentic because if you're not comfortable, then um you more most likely going to um, partake partake in a role that um, that's not fully you. Um, and right now, I'm just really trying to be Cedric. Um, I'm gonna have my high days. I'm gonna have the days where I'm feeling happy. Um, I'm gonna have the days where I'm feeling you know sad and things like that. But um, when I walk into a room, I want to make that. I want people to know that. This is Cedric. You know, Cedric always kept his word. Um, Cedric was um, not really also positive, but also not also negative. Cedric was, you know, mellow um, because it's it's hard for to to play a role that you're positive all the time. Um, you can't really play that 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 role all the time because that that's that's a facade. So um, as me, I just want to work on being who I am um, and and keeping that straight line, that keeping that straight balance. Um, with people who I surround myself with, but also when I walk into a room, um, they know that um, Cedric is one who um, kept his word, kept his bond and things like that. Um, Cedric was works hard, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's just really being consistent um, 
and developing a relationship. So when you um, develop a relationship, um, who you are um, and the choices you make, that play an important um, role in how people view you. Um, so all of my accomplishments, um, people know that I have accomplished a lot, um, but um, most people only know me for mm-hmm. my accomplishments and most people don't really know me for who the real Cedric is. Um, so I try not to display all my accomplishments um, as of right now um, because um, I want to. I want people to really know who Cedric is um, because accomplishments, yes, that's going to fade away, but um, who you are as a person um, is, is really um, why we are living the, you know, why we are living right now on this earth. Um, so no matter what, whether it's good or bad, um, accomplishment is going to fade away. And I just want people to know who I am, um, as a person. So I'm just trying to be, um, just trying to keep my word more. Um, I'm just trying to say how I feel more. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, do things that make me happy. And if I continue to do that, then my real me, my real self will slowly reveal itself to people who do not know me as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, man, identity, duality. I, I'm definitely a person that is learning that I am multidimensional and that I'm always growing and changing. And I guess some of the way that I've kind of learned to do with this best is by going to a lot of my friends and my family. And that's what I definitely tell some of my younger friends. And, you know, some of us like to shut on to our students is that when you're having, when you're struggling with your identity, whether it's as first generation, whether it's as a person of color, whether it's as, um, you know, even your sexuality or gender presentation, you know, going to your family, going to some of your peers and going to even your professors or some of the best people that kind of help you talk out these new changes because this is a huge transition in your life you know whether you are like you know you Cedric where you're you're senior about to graduate you know you've come so far um or you're post-grad like me where now I'm transitioning from being a student to not being a student and moving into (laughs) the real world your errand have like your life and really put together <laughs> you know it's it's going i told my students you know it's going to your peers and going to your family and friends because these are the people that are have either gone through before or they're in the process themselves you know and there's yeah and there's so many rooster centers like um i don't know like i think something i did a lot was going through uh or going to the chicanx department at my school and talking to um, one of my grad student friends and how we dealt with, you know, being um, being, being a uh, queer Latinx and, you know, coming out and then, you know, coming out again and again. It's like when you're a college student or when you're a student of color, in some ways you mm-hmm. do that where you're coming into becoming a new person every single day. Um, and just kind of going with that and understanding that that's going to be your rest of your life um, and right. to embrace all these new changes and all these identities, because at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So and you. You, you brought up that's- real world. Um, and I know when I first uh, started my professional career, I had a, a hard time with reconciling 
all the pieces of me. And um, like I said, knowing, looking at how everyone who's gone before me has done it, those who are, you know, a few years ahead of me in their career, I had to, to really, um, really accept or really be okay with, with saying, okay, you're not just this person, your person outside of work, your person outside of church, your person outside of family, like you, um, I can't remember what, what conference I went to, but it was the CEO and they're, again, they're talking about being authentic, but it was like, you don't have to change who you are. You can still be authentic and be a lighter version of Aaron or a lighter version of Cedric. You're still you, but you still know how to be you in all of these places. And for me, I had to be okay with being uh, the church girl, the nerd. I like sci-fi. Um, I like to eat. I like to travel. Um, uh, most people don't know mm-hmm. I like a good kickback party. Uh, so, and that's, you know, most people's like, oh, you with them? It's like, okay, yeah, I didn't do anything bad. But, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, a sorority girl at heart. We we had fun and, and that's what I like to do. So, so it, you still have to, um, I think as you journey into your professional um, careers, you still have to, in order for you to be sane, and I think this is just a tip from 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 me as being a little bit um, ahead of y'all. In order for you to be sane, you do have to be authentic. Being fake or faking the funk or, um, you know, providing boundaries to every part, like that's the only way you're going to be happy and enjoy um, who you are. Like I had to a little bit a few years ago, I was hiding that I wanted to uh, start my own business because I felt like employers are going to say, well, you, you're not going to have enough time for us or, or, you know, are you doing work, your work on company time or whatever. So I hit that part. And then when I realized, I was like, well, people are looking for self-starters. I need to use that in job interviews. And when I'm promoting myself, that they're looking for other ways. Um, and so it was like little, little pieces of things that I started to hide from other people. But then I realized like, I'm, you know, it is what it is. Like, I'm okay. I can be, um, a, a a consummate professional and still have dreams and aspirations outside of my career. I'm, I'm, I, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay. If I say, okay, I can't take this five o'clock meeting cause I need to go to church or I need to work out or taking a break for, um, vacations or travel. Like it, that's going to be, I think some barriers you probably have to cross. And sometimes it's, it's not really racial, but it's just really, still trying to find out who you are in this professional space. But I think after post, after graduation, and even as a grad student, you're probably going to find that transition. You're going to have to transition multiple times. Um, and I know, you know, people who are older are say, okay, you know, I'm settled. I know mm-hmm. who I am. And they're, un, they're so unapologetic. And it's like, yes, I, you know, I want to be there in a few years. This is where I need to be. <laughs> um, and so I think that's my, my tip on, um, identity. What so if you're t- talking to like first year students of color, first generation, low income, what are some tips or some things that they should not look forward to, but they might encounter in their quest to find their true selves? What are, what are some of your tips to them? Uh, 
I would say um, really just just surround yourself with people who are beneficial for your soul um, all around. Um, because when um, I see it all the time where um, they have college to first year college students and they get caught up, like all it, all it takes is one party. Um, all it takes is one party. And then they're going to they gonna keep going to the next party. Then they're going to keep going to the next party with the same group of friends. Um, and that's just going to fail them at the end of the semester. So I would really um, suggest that as a first-year college student, going into, going into college um, with the mindset of having fun, but also um, handling business and also surrounding yourself with people who is going to um, let you know when you're messing up, um, people who is going to let you know that, you're not going to class. You need to go to class. Um, people that's going to help you um, maybe work out, um, eat well, um, and also have fun. So it's a balance of finding um, good friends. But um, overall, I would say find some friends who, who really um, cares about your well-being and cares about your success um, in college because that first semester is, is really real because that first semester, you see a lot of people mm-hmm. <laughs> that then the spring semester, you don't see you don't see nearly as half of the people that was there in the fall semester. Yeah. So, and I think that's that that what really got me through my my semesters is just by um, first finding mentors, but also finding a group of people, um, accountability partners who make sure I did my work. I made sure they did their work, um, and we were just accountable for each other, and that's how we progress and advance um, to further some semesters in college. So find, find, find solid friends. You know, they're gonna have friends where you 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 thought they were solid, and it, it back it backfires. But overall, there are yeah, I would definitely say add to that friends that accept help, um, who you are and not try to change you for the worse. So if they know that you're not a partier, they're gonna say. Girl, you know you're not going. Uh, we'll see you when you when you get back. Like they're not gonna like force you to change who you are. Like why are you going to church and, and why you know why are you such a home? You know things like that. But to change you for the better, like oh you should get out a little bit, but not for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so it's a delicate balance of they're accepting you or say okay, well. You know, Erin's yeah. a goody two shoes. She's yes. not going to do that. I, you know, it got to me at first, and I was like, you know what? Whatever, fine. I'm not dealing with most of the stuff y'all are dealing with, so I'm cool. You label me this and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how, <laughs> that's exactly how I am. Like I, I like I don't really go to parties. Like I rather kick back or something like that, but. I'm one who, you know, just do well in um, my academics. So, um, you know, I like to go to, you know, PJs or Starbucks and do some work sometimes. Um, I like to go to the gym and things like that, but I'm not necessarily big on parties. So, um, and it's a prime example. My mentor, um, he knew that I wasn't really, I didn't really enjoy going to parties. So he really accepted me who I am. Um, and he um, really took initiative of to find more things that I had comfortable mm-hmm. Um, comf- comfort in doing, and he did those things with me instead of forcing me to go to a party with him. So it's, it's just that delicate balance that that's really um, key in relationships, um, friend relationships, but yeah, also um, relationships in general, your personal relationships, um, professional relationships all around. Yeah, definitely. I'd say find friends that and invest in you like you would invest in them. That's one of 
my biggest lesson I learned in life so far. And it's finding friends that, you know, like I said, like will tell you, hey, this isn't you. And it's okay if you don't want to go out. It's okay if you don't want to, you know, go out to the city jam. Like, it's fine. Um, because mm-hmm. those are the people that are going to be there not only for your four years, but for the rest of your life. You know? Um, mm. Yeah. Yes. Happy to say I've got a couple of those, but I also had some friends that didn't accept me for who I was and, you know, going through that and to understanding that, you know, it takes time to find your your support system, your family, your friends. Um, but when you find them, you know, they're going to be there for you until, like, <laughs> yes. basically you're done. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's why I'm forever grateful at. Um, and I... I you know, I'm I'm not complaining or anything, but I'm I'm glad that things worked out the way they did. And there were some friends that I had affiliations with that, you know, they they wasn't really for me. And as time um progressed, um I really found out who was really for me. Um and I can say that I really have some great friends but also some great mentors. And you know, it's it can be worse. Like I said, it can be um better, but I'm forever grateful yeah, so, for the friends um, I have. Cedric, you're so gonna put you on the hot spot college. now. Tell us about your book, and it's really a, a, the real reason that you're part of this conversation. Tell us about your book. It's really the real reason that you're part of this conversation. Yeah. So, um, who would have known? I would have. <laughs> wrote a book. <laughs> it's it's really uh it's it's mind blowing. Um but um just by um observing Erin and um her um success and things like that um uh, of writing a book, um one day I thought maybe I should, you know, share my story because I grew up uh, without a father. Um my father been in prison since I was since I was born basically. Um, and I only had my mother who took care of me and my mother struggled with um, taking care of my sister and I. Um, so in, in, in my book, I talk about um, such as things such as like forgiveness, um, forgiving my father. Um, I know that um, I didn't really ask for him to be in jail or he didn't ask for it. Um, but there were certain things I had inside of me that was built up that I had like malice or things towards him. Um, and I had to really, you know, find out who I am, self-analyze and be able to write that mm-hmm. in my book. Um, but it, it, it was, it was a good, um, process. Um, it was a healing process for me. Um, most importantly, because some of the things that I talk about in my book, um, I didn't really have the confidence, um, to say, it, um, you know, in person to my mother and things like that. So, um, just by writing a book, um, it just really, um, shows my progress as a human being, as a young male who grew up without a father. Um, overall, the book is very motivating, um, for those, um, young black men who, who in New Orleans, you know, who, who sees that there is no future, but, um, my book is a testimony to that there is future. You just got to put in the work. Um, so you know, just by doing that, I enjoy writing. Um, I enjoy writing out my feelings and things like that. And just getting that support from Erin on um, how to publish, where to go to publish, um, some steps to 
um, take Aww. when writing a book. Um, that was very helpful. So I don't think I ever told Erin thank you, but thank you so much for that. Um, and you know, I I plan on writing more, but um, yeah. So that's, I, that's um, the best way that I. So I, do you I feel like myself that writing. um is a barrier? Some people um use their background and take on other people's identity for themselves. Do you feel like you may have done that early on in your life? Yeah. Um, because yeah, <laughs> in my book, I talk about, um, peer pressure. Um, I was, I was a very bad, um, middle schooler. Um, I always got in trouble. Um, I was just a class clown <laughs> because I wanted to be like other people. Um, but going through middle school and things like that, I really had to take a look at myself and say that, Hey, this is not really the route that I want to go down because if I would have continued down that route, I would have either been in jail or really probably dead right now. But, um, I'm just, I'm just so glad of my choices, uh, being better, you know, being a better me. Um, and ultimately, um, those friends that I talked about earlier, um, on this um, podcast, um, that were, that were the friends that was, um, was not rooting for me. Um, they, they, they thought that I was going to, you know, be a failure in college and things like that. Um, but it all worked out. I think, um, my peer pressure definitely, um, me being peer pressure definitely, um, was an awakening for me. But once we get through that peer pressure, um, stage, um, I think that's the first glimpse we have as, um, identity and finding out who we are. Um, do we want to be a follower all of our lives or do we want to be a leader? You know, do you want to be um, someone who, who, who someone look up to, or do you want to be a bad example for uh, someone not to look up to? So it's just really um, trying to figure out what you want to do in life. And so make when can we expect this to, book and um, uh, where would our listeners be able to purchase it? Yeah, so my book, I don't think I said it, but my book is entitled Searching for Purpose and Understanding, uh, subtitled Fulfilling Your Purpose in Life. Um, you can actually search it on Amazon. Um, it was available since October um, 2018, this year. Um, you can find it on Amazon if you type in Searching for Purpose and Understanding, uh, Fulfilling Your Purpose in Life by Cedric Dent. But I also have a website. My website is www cedricdentjr.com um and you can order a paperback copy um uh, for only 20 20 dollars and it'll be signed by me um i probably include a personal note as well um depends on how i'm feeling but um i definitely think um to whoever who is listening to this um if you need that extra push um and you know just want to get that extra step on the hunt for um your your purpose in life i definitely think this book um is great for you um, and meanwhile, you can get to know about who I am and all okay. of my past experiences. Well, thank you for joining, Maggie. Um, you have any, as, any as parting words for to who our I am now. Uh, oh, parting words. Um, you know, regardless of where you come from, um, who your parents are, just know that 
our identities always shift throughout our lifetime. Um, and as you heard from us, you know, the shifts in your identity are going to make you a stronger person, a better person, and you never stop growing. And this is something that's going to carry with you the rest of your life. Um, and as you can hear from us, you know, everyone's story is important. Everyone has a purpose. And, you know, like we heard from Cedric, you know, you make the most of your life decisions by the decisions that you make at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, just to go with life and learn that every day is going to be different. And every time that you should identity, every time you confront uh, new problems, you know, it's not the end of it. And to just go with these life lessons. <laughs> Cedric, what do you got? All right. You put me on the spot. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, really, uh, my important words, I would just say um, that everything is tailored for your your life, um, your purpose. Um, everything in life um, happens for each other's uh, or everyone's greatest good. So I don't think anything that's happening is not aligned with our purpose in life and something that we are not prepared to handle. So um, just look forward, be prepared to um, what's next, but also be confident um, in yourselves um, because um, you'll always be enough in this world um, and that's your birthright. So, um, you know, just trust the process, be confident, um, know that you could handle anything that comes your way. Um, you just got to, everything is figure outable. So you just got to, you know, go around the loops and things like that. Um, and once you get throughout um, those loops and things yeah, like so that, then you'll thank you really find so out much, who you are as a person. Cedric, for being a wonderful guest. And thank you always, Maggie, for being a lovely co-host. And you can catch Maggie on Maggie Mondays live on Instagram. Um, what time? And we'll have all of the information At on how to purchase Cedric's book in our episode description. And as always, stay wise, stay woke, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Be Preppy LLC. Till next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by BePreppy.com, a college coaching company. Head over to BePreppy.com for free college success resources and to learn how you can secure a personal college coach. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all social media channels at BePreppyLLC.